Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, I'm excited as we kick off a new series called Sacred Questions. Uh, I was thinking just in my own life about the importance of remembering to ask the right questions and uh, how many times I tend to forget to ask the right questions. And specifically, I was reminded of a time uh, when I was in high school. If you've been around, you probably know and have heard that I was the king of the nerds. Uh, I was the drum major for our marching band. And something you may not know is that just like there is like basketball camp and football camp for all the cool kids, uh, there is such a thing as drum major camp for the leader of the marching band nerds. And so basically this was a week that we went away and we learned how to like conduct and how to lead and how to do all the marching band things. And uh, for me, this was down in uh, Terre Haute. We went to Indiana State University for a week. I've got a picture. There's young Eric, the conductor. Uh, just to brag on my high school nerd stats, we were actually like the best group of all of the groups. So this was like a big deal that we could conduct. If you want to see a mean 4-4, let me know after the service and we'll get into it. But uh, I was traveling to this camp. It was in Terre Haute. So it was like four hours away from my home. And we got there and I remember I got to the dorm and I started like unloading all my stuff. And I realized I forgot to ask the question, did I pack everything? And I didn't have my saxophone. So that might not seem like a big deal, but it's like a band camp. So like playing your instrument is an essential part of what we need to do. And so I'm freaking out. My parents are there. They drove me down there and they're amazing parents. And basically what ended up happening is they turned the car around, left me there for all my orientation stuff and all that. They drove another four hours, got the saxophone out of my room, drove another four hours back down, made a quick handoff so I could like get to where I needed to be with it, and then drove yet another four hours back home. So my failure to ask the right question led to 16 hours of driving for my parents, and somehow they still claim me along the way. But I don't know if you've had a moment like that where uh, you forgot to ask the right question and it maybe came back to get you along the way. But the series that we're starting uh, is actually not the right questions. It's called Sacred Questions, where we're going to look at questions that can actually impact our faith and our spirituality. And maybe for you, like when you think about church, the idea of church and questions feels kind of like a weird match because often isn't it true that Christians and church people are known as answer people? Like maybe you've heard the phrase that Jesus is the answer and maybe you've heard the corny joke that like if Jesus is the answer, what's the question? Uh, But often like in all seriousness, we can offer simple answers sometimes to complex problems and Christians kind of have a reputation for, for being that way. And if you've ever heard that or maybe even tried to navigate something difficult in your life and somebody told you like, hey, Jesus is the answer or, or like just turn to scripture, that's not necessarily bad advice and it's not necessarily untrue. But if you've ever actually done it and you actually opened up your Bible and started flipping through the pages and started trying to find an answer to your questions, sometimes it's more confusing than it is helpful, isn't it? Because it's not like it's just a textbook with all of the answers in it to life. You'll not find anything about your iPhone or even your telephone or, or anything like that. Like it's, it's hard sometimes to discern what God is up to. And so maybe for you, like questions in church seem like an odd match. And not only that, but in our cultural moment, uh, we're kind of in a season where the church, along with several other institutions, are kind of being questioned, right? Like we've probably heard the stories and seen the headlines of scandal and abuse and things that are coming to light within churches. And I think that that's a good thing for us to pursue justice and for us to bring those things to the surface. Uh, but 
along the way, it's also led to a really hot topic in church world, which is the idea of deconstruction and doubt and people who are questioning their faith. And uh, we've talked about that before here at Story, that like we want to be a place where people can bring questions and, and can bring doubts. And as we're talking about sacred questions today, uh, we're not necessarily talking about that kind of questioning, but I think what we're going to talk about is important for us to be the kind of community where it's safe to lean in and it's safe to ask a question and it's safe to wrestle with faith. We want to be a community uh, where our faith isn't just rooted in certainty, but we actually make room for discovery and for questioning and for wrestling with God along the way. And uh, honestly, a part of what made me think about this series and, and doing this is a few years back, I ended up uh, going to talk to a counselor. It was towards the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021, and there's just some stuff going on in all of our lives, right? But some stuff going on for me personally that I felt confused about. I didn't know what to do, and I was having a hard time navigating uh, where God was at in the midst of all that. And so I ended up, uh, through the church I was a part of at that time, connecting with a counselor, and uh, she basically met with me. It was virtual, because remember when that was all we could do? <laughs> it's like Zoom. Uh, we did that, and she basically told me that she was going to function like a spiritual director for me. And I don't know if that's new language for you, but there are people, that's actually their profession. They're spiritual directors. It's kind of like mentoring, but in a very specific sort of way where they help like guide your spiritual life and your sense of where God is at and how he's moving. And so I went into this conversation with this counselor expecting direction, right? I expected answers. I expected like, this is where God is telling you to move. Or like she would take in the information and just say, here it is. Like, here's where you should go. Uh, but she did one thing through the entirety of our meeting together. And it wasn't give me a direction or it wasn't give me an answer. She didn't give me Bible verses. She didn't like point me to the right answer. She didn't even really tell me stories from her life all that much. She did not spell out the outline of six steps to find your calling in life. All she did through this entire meeting was ask questions. It's just question after question after question after question. And at first, I was like, I'm kind of new to this whole counseling thing, and she doesn't know me, so like Zoom's weird. Maybe this is just like the meeting number one where she's trying to get a sense of who I am and figure me out. And uh, so then we did a second meeting, and it was question after question after question after question. And, and I realized like she wasn't trying to figure me out. She was trying to help me figure me out. Because a good spiritual director, what they do is they don't just give you the answers in life, but sometimes they use the right questions to direct your attention back to your own life, to direct your attention back to yourself. And this idea of asking sacred questions of ourselves or experiencing spiritual direction, this isn't like some new 2020, 2022 thing that we're all getting into. This is actually a, a practice that's been a part of several Christian traditions for, for years. Uh, this guy, a guy named St. Ignatius of Loyola actually kind of introduced some of this thinking. In the 1500s, he was a young Spanish aristocrat. The rumor mill says that he was really good with the sword and also good with the ladies. I can't verify that. Uh, but in 1521, Spain was in a war with France and he was fighting on the side of Spain. And in this battle, uh, he got hit in the leg by a cannonball and ended up hospitalized for a long time. And the nature of hospitals in those days is many of them were affiliated with churches. And so what that meant is the only entertainment that Ignatius had while he was laying in that hospital bed was to read the Bible or to read the biographies of saints. That was like all that was in the library. And so he spent all this time while he was hospitalized and recovering, reading scripture, reading about the lives of people with really big faith, and it gripped his heart. And so the story goes that he ended up, when he was released from the hospital, he walked to the nearest Benedictine monastery, laid down his sword and his armor, and he said he's going to serve God 
the rest of his life. And, and he went on to found what's known as the Order of the Jesuits, or, or the Jesuit priesthood, if you've ever heard of that. And, and one of the things that the Jesuit priesthood and that tradition brought to faith was really a lot of the foundational things that we know as spiritual practices. And, and one of those practices specifically that Ignatius uh, instructed and introduced into the world was the idea of discernment that rather than just getting answers again, or rather than just checking off all the right boxes, an essential part of faith is wrestling with God uh, about what he's doing in our lives, about where he's at, uh, about where he wants us to go, and what he's saying to us in each moment. And there's another faith tradition here in America uh, known as the Quakers, who actually took this a step farther beyond their delicious oats. Uh, the Quakers were known for holding what was called a clearness committee, and a clearness committee was basically this communal act of discernment, where if there was a member of the community who was trying to figure out where God was at or what it looked like to follow him well, they would call the community together and they would sit in a circle that maybe looked something like this. This isn't exactly that, but they would sit together and all they would do with their time together is they would ask honest, open questions about the person and their experience. Just question after question after question after question. And sometimes they would even just sit there in silence until somebody came up with another question or, or they felt like they had an answer from God. And I know that might feel really awkward, but these clearness committees were actually really beautiful experiences where people could discern where God was at and what he was up to. And in fact, if you pay attention uh, throughout the narrative of scripture, the turning point for some of the most significant characters in scripture isn't something God says or God instructs, but often the turning point in people's faith is a question that God asks a sacred question where God uh, brings a probing question that goes beneath the surface and asks somebody uh, something that makes them examine themselves. For example, in the life of Moses, who was a great leader in the Old Testament, uh, he has this moment of self-doubt where he's questioning if he's even called or equipped or worthy to do what God wants him to do. And God asks a sacred question of him, and he says, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses realizes he's holding this staff that God goes on to use in miraculous ways. Sometimes God would ask these sacred questions of the, the entire people of Israel, God's people. And he would ask them things like, why are you crying out to me instead of doing the things that I've instructed you to do? They were these probing questions that could lead to turning points in people's faith. And so what we want to do over the next few weeks is we want to ask some sacred questions of ourselves as well. We want to practice this practice of discernment and actually open ourselves up that God may actually have a question to ask of us that could lead us to a turning point in our faith and lead us to grow and to turn our attention to different places. And so we're actually gonna look at sacred questions that are already in scripture and look at like, where do these questions come from? Uh, what might motivate them? Why are they so sacred? And what does the response to these questions mean for the people they were originally asked to and for us as well? And so to start out, uh, we're gonna start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. But uh, in all seriousness, I think it's important for us, if we get the story right at the beginning, we're more likely to get it right as the story continues on. And so uh, we're gonna come back to the book of Genesis at the very beginning. And if you need a recap, uh, this is the creation story where God creates everything that you and I have ever seen or ever experienced. He creates our world and calls it good and, and kind of the pinnacle of that creation happens when he creates man. It says that God actually got into the dust and the dirt of the earth and he formed man and then he got so close that he breathed life into the man and the man was made in God's image. And then uh, God decides he's gonna work out the kinks and so he brings along woman as well, model 2.0, right? And, and, and so the man and the woman exist in the garden and, 
and they're perfect, they're made in God's image, and there's nothing broken between them. They're living in this beautiful world that God created where everything is beautiful and exactly as God intended it for it to be. And in Genesis chapter 2, there's kind of a summary statement of what their life and their experience was like in that moment. The text says this. It says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now all the middle schoolers in the room giggle, right? Like they were naked, but they felt no shame. And hopefully for us today, like with a little more mature perspective than middle school Eric had, I want you to like just pause for a second and take that in. They were like fully exposed to one another, not just in a physical sense, but like relationally. They were fully exposed to one another, but they had no shame. They weren't covering anything up. They, they weren't afraid. They didn't feel like they had anything to hide from one another. And isn't that a powerful idea? that they were able to be together and present themselves to one another, basically in a way of saying, like, here I am. Like, here's all of me. Here's the stuff that I'm proud to display, and here's the stuff that maybe I tend to try and cover up and try to hide along the way. They were naked. They were exposed to one another, but they felt no shame. I think I got a portrait of what this maybe looked like. That sounded weirder than it needs to be. But (laughs) the other day, I was uh, going out to my garage to just work on some stuff. And as I was walking by, my neighbor has a five-year-old little girl. And she was out in the backyard just in her underwear, (laughs) just like, woo, like waving at me and saying hi. And I walked by, I was like, hi. (laughs) And went on and it's like started doing my thing. I don't even know how long I was in the garage. But when I turned around to walk back inside, she was still out there, still just like a free bird and going like, hey. And like, I was like, hey. And as I was walking back in, I was like, that's kind of it, isn't it? Like she's five years old and she doesn't know any different. She's just like, here I am. She doesn't even know like the social, like she was like creeping way close to my lawn. And I'm like, are you like coming over? What are we doing here today? (laughs) And like, don't get me wrong. I'm glad we learned some of that social stuff. Like, thanks for being fully clothed today. Uh, But like, there's something beautiful about the innocence of a child, isn't there? Who can just show up and be like, hey, here I am. Here's me. Here's all of me. No shame, no fear, nothing held back along the way. That's kind of what it was like initially for that first man and that first woman. But unfortunately, uh, the story takes a turn and God had instructed the man and the woman that they could eat from any tree in the garden except for one. And this serpent comes along and basically deceives uh, the man and the woman and twists God's words. And they end up eating the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to. And things tend to unravel or suddenly go sideways really quickly. And we're going to pick it up from there. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. See, Adam and Eve, they were were fully exposed and fully accepted, fully comfortable in themselves. They weren't afraid, but then something happens in their story to make them feel ashamed, to make them withdraw, to make them want to cover up and want to hide. And isn't it true that all of us have had a moment like that in our lives somewhere along the way? Where something painful happened, something that maybe didn't feel safe or at least that made us question and it made us withdraw and it made us want to hide a little bit of who we are. Like maybe for you, this happened early in life because family wasn't what it was supposed to be for you. And somewhere along the way, you picked up the message that that family wasn't a safe place and so you learned to hide or to withdraw just to feel okay in your own skin. Maybe it was as simple as for you, uh, you saw all the adults in your life hiding who they really were. And so you learn that like, that's just how you exist as a person in the world. You're never supposed to bring your full self to anything. And so you just feel kind of reserved, like you're always holding back along the way. Maybe for you, it was your religious system that taught you to hide. 
Maybe you grew up believing that like the role of church was just to be the place where we all look shiny and pretty and, and check off all the right boxes on Sundays and that you better not actually show up or actually be yourself along the way. But whatever it may be for you, all of us at some point along the way have felt that urge to hide ourselves. We felt that, that shamefulness and that desire to withdraw along the way. And something that I think is important uh, in the text to highlight is notice that the man and the woman, they don't just cover themselves with fig leaves, but they actually hide among the trees of the garden. And remember, this garden was designed to be a beautiful place. Those trees were good and were designed to be used for good, and and yet the people find themselves hiding among the trees in the garden. And I think, again, for us, it doesn't take too long for us to think about maybe some of the good things that we hide ourselves with as well. Like, for example, work. I think work is a good thing. It's actually a good thing for us to have a sense of calling and purpose and vocation and to use your gifts and your talents and your skills to make a meaningful contribution in the world. That is a God-given gift and it's a good thing. And you know that if you've ever like felt like you were in your sweet spot doing your job, you're like, man, I, I could do this forever, right? Or at least it's like not totally painful to get to be a part of what I'm a part of. But isn't it also true that often we can end up like not knowing how to say who we are without our resume? Maybe you've gone to a party before, and what's the question we all ask one another if we don't know each other? Hey, so what do you do for a living? Right? Like, it's how we identify ourselves, and what happens if your work, this good thing, isn't just an expression of who you are, it's not just a, a beautiful part of your life, but what if you get to a spot where you don't know who you are without it? Maybe you're even at retirement age, or, or maybe you've just recently retired, and you're feeling the tension of that, because you don't know who you are without what you do. And so you feel stuck and you're trying to figure it out. Like, if you take away the job that you have, who are you really? Or another place that we can tend to hide are our family roles. And family is is a beautiful thing. It's a vital thing. And and being a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or brother or sister, like, that's a God-given beautiful thing. But man, how many people get to the point in life where that role is the only thing they know to identify themselves with? It's the only way they know how to be in the world. We see parents run into this all the time as they get to that empty nester phase, right? And all of a sudden, like, kids are gone, and you're still there, and you've invested, like, 18, 20 years, whatever it looks like, into this child's life, and now, like, you're still mom, but it's not the same, and you're just left wrestling, like, who am I without that role? Like, it can become the thing that you hide behind. And the question is, like, what if that's not the headline for who you are? What what if that role isn't the sum total of who God made you to be. To be honest, religion or church can be another place that we hide. And if it's like a secret, I'm a big fan of church. Like I believe in what we're doing here today or otherwise I need to get a new job. But uh, like how many times do we actually use a religious community like this to be the very place that we hide? Where Sunday morning becomes the place where regardless of what happened in the van ride on the way in or whatever difficult stuff you went through that week, when you sit in the seat, you turn on this shiny happy face. Right? And all the shiny, happy people are here worshiping shiny, happy Jesus, and everything's good and happy all the time. Like, church can be the place where we're not allowed to bring our messed up selves. Church can feel like the last place we go to be authentic because we're constantly posturing to each other, if not to God. Like, we can all fall into that trap along the way. Or maybe, like I mentioned, doubt and deconstruction. Maybe you're a person who, if you're honest, you're wrestling with your faith. But it's just so hard to talk about or to bring up, especially in this place. And so it's just easy for you to like nod along and sing along with the words or or at least try and stay awake while I'm talking or whatever, than to like disrupt all the agreement that's in the room. See, all of these places, they're good things, a job, a family role, a faith community, but they can be good things that we actually hide behind. They can be 
the ways that we hide among the trees in the garden. And God is there in that garden. And he sees Adam and Eve. And he sees that they're hiding. And he wants to call that out of them. And, and so God approaches, and it says this, that then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? And that is the sacred question I want us to wrestle with today as a community and as individuals. Where are you? Like, like you, the real you. Like, where are you in your life? Where are you in your body? Where are you in, in your story? Where are you in your day-to-day -day routine? Where are you? And how are you hiding? And what would it look like to bring your full self to the table? That's the sacred question that we're going to wrestle with together. Where are you? And I think it's important to know that like, God's not asking this question of Adam and Eve for his benefit. <laughs> like, God's not like, oh no, I lost two of them. Like, where are they? Uh, there's only two of them and God knows already, right? So I think what God is doing instead, it's like God knows they're hiding, but it's almost like he needs them to hear their answer to the question. He's almost like their spiritual director in that moment. And God says, where are you? And in fact, as the conversation continues, here's what the people say in response. It says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. See, like, like God needed them to hear their own answer. He's like, hey, where are you? And they're like, hey, we're hiding. And God, it's like, okay, why are you hiding? He says, well, because we're naked and we're ashamed. And God's like, well, let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about the thing beneath the thing. Where did you get this idea that you should be ashamed of a part of yourself that I created? Where did you get this idea that you should hide? And so God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Like in the story that you're living, where are you? Not the you that you've built up, right? Not fig leaf covered you, but where are you? And it's a question that if we really wrestle with, it'll disrupt things. It'll shake up the rhythms and the routine of our lives, but it also might be the very thing that could open us up to more fully experiencing the life that God has for us if we're willing to really go there. And so as we continue to wrestle with this question, I want to share with you another story today that's not biblical, but I feel like it kind of could be. Uh, it's the story of a man named Peter, and uh, there's actually a movie made about him. Peter was a man who grew into adulthood, and like so many of us, he built layer after layer after layer to hide himself behind. And for Peter, he largely did this in the professional sense. He was really interested in having a successful business career and having this identity as somebody who gets things done. Uh, but because Peter was hiding behind this business professional identity, he was unable to show up in other parts of his life. Uh, specifically, he was failing to show up for his son. And sons and daughters, like little boys, little girls, they need their dads to show up. But Peter was so busy, he wasn't able to show up for his son's baseball game. And it broke his son's heart. It was this tension that existed. And so anyway, like I said, this movie was made to tell about Peter's story because the man I'm talking about is Peter Banning, who is Peter Pan, played by Robin Williams. Anybody know the movie? Yeah, in the movie Hook. And if you've seen the movie, like, it's this beautiful story, this stirring story about a man who learned how to hide and had to be called out again 
to be who he really is. He had to learn how to say, like, here I am as I was meant to be. And if you know the story, it's kind of like a retelling or an addition to the story of Peter Pan, where uh, Peter grows up and he becomes the successful businessman, Peter Banner, who forgets that he ever was Peter Pan. And so eventually in the story, his kids get kidnapped and it draws him back to Neverland. And then along the way, uh, he encounters the lost boys again, these misfits, these kind of wild boys who rally around Peter and they basically barrage him with saying like, where are you, Peter? Like, what happened to the Peter that we know? Like, who are you? Be who you are. We need you to be Peter again. But Peter keeps hiding and keeps hiding and keeps hiding. But there's a moment in the story where the lost boys rally around him and they're like, asking, like, are you in there, Peter? Like, like are you really there? And, and then they find him in this kind of strange, beautiful way. Check out this scene. Anybody need a tissue? Right? I, I love that scene, and, and I just love the power of just the innocence even in that little boy's voice. He goes, oh, there you are. Right? There you are, Peter. And, and for what we're talking about today, I can't help but think that the God who called out to Adam and Eve and maybe called out to you today and says, where are you, is less like a scolding parent looking to make you give an account for all of your mistakes. And like, what if God is more like that little boy tenderly saying, are you in there? Like, where are you? The you that I made you to be, like, where are you? Are you in there? And if God is like that, then I wonder as well if, like, what if the church is meant to be like the lost boys? Like, what if we're all supposed to be the misfits who, like, know that we're misfits and, and we're not, like, subscribing to the facade anymore where we're going to try and be pretty and perfect and put all together, uh, but we're the ones who look at one another and we say, like, hey, bring all of you right? Be who you are. Be who you are. Let God bring out the best in you. And when we see each other starting to live into that, what if we were the people who rallied together and cheered one another on and said, like, yeah, be all of that instead of shaming one another into conforming and hiding more and more along the way? Like, isn't that what we're supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to be the misfit lost boys who are willing to call out the best in one another along the way? Here's the thing with this sacred question, where are you? It's not just a question that's designed for your own like personal growth or your own healing. There's certainly an element of that that's true along the way and it can be very powerful, but it's not just a sentimental personal journey that God takes us on. The stakes are higher than that because in the case of Adam and Eve, in the case of countless other characters throughout scripture, and I would say in the case of your life, not only is your personal growth on the line, but your calling, your purpose, the reason God has you on this planet 
is also on the line because God calls out to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, where are you? Knowing that they can't fully live out the job or the vocation that he's given to them if they're hiding. Like, remember, he, he put them in the garden. He said, here's all of the raw material. Go make a beautiful world. But God knows that they can't make beautiful things if they're too busy hiding. And God loves them as individuals, but God also has this purpose for them to fulfill. And the same is true for us. God says, where are you? Because I want you to show up, and I want you to do the work that I've called you to do. There's another character in Scripture who has a kind of a hiding moment like this as well, and it's the prophet Isaiah. And as we're wrapping up here, I want to share with you the snapshot from his story. Um, Isaiah was doing ministry work in this time of upheaval, Uh, in the midst of God's people. Essentially, there was a king who died suddenly, and and there was this huge amount of uncertainty around what it meant for God's people moving forward. And God sent out a call in that moment where he says, like, I need somebody to show up and to speak on my behalf. And uh, this story where we're going to pick things up, it's another story of hiding and showing up, uh, but it's often quoted in the church to give us the snapshot of God's holiness, and that's certainly a piece of the puzzle. But what I want us to hone in on today is Isaiah's experience. Isaiah's experience of God and what it looked like for God to show up in Isaiah's story or really for God to invite Isaiah to show up in the midst of it. And so see if this sounds familiar. The text in Isaiah chapter 6 says this, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two that they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So maybe you've heard that before. It's like this picture of how holy and how other and how big God is. And then Isaiah responds to this experience that he's having. says, the voices of the seraphim shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah says, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And have you ever thought about how similar that is to Adam and Eve's response when God's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and they feel shame, and they hide? They experience God and his presence, which should be a good thing, but in the moment, they're ruined, and they distance themselves, and they're like, I've got to hide. I've got to get out of here. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. Like, haven't you felt that before? A moment where you're like, I've got to withdraw. I've got to hide. Like, I'm not good enough to be somebody who's used by God in a significant way. Well, check out what happens next. Isaiah goes on. He says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Isn't that the opposite of hiding? Right? Isaiah just had this moment where he, he experiences the presence of God and, and something in him, his shame, his awareness that he's a messed up person, that he has filthy lips and he's a, among a people of filthy lips. He's like, I got to withdraw. I got to get out of there. But then God moves in his direction and it changes something. And Isaiah is able to say, hey, here I am, right? Lips are still filthy. I mean, burnt and cleaned by the coal, I guess, but, but I'm still me. 
I still want to withdraw sometimes. I'm still ashamed. Here's my shiny parts and my shameful parts, but here I am. Send me. And isn't it true that we often think it's the other way around? Like, isn't it easy for us to fall into thinking it's our job to clean up first, and then we can show up, and then God can use us? Isn't it so easy to think that that's how God operates, but every single time, God moves in the other direction? Like, Adam and Eve were a mess. They were ashamed, they were hiding, and God shows up in the garden, and he says, where are you? Right? I, look, I know. I know what happened. I know what's going on. Show up anyway. Where are you? Isaiah's afraid, and he's ashamed, and he's unworthy, and God takes it upon God's self to do the cleaning up, right? The coal comes from God's altar and touches Isaiah's lips and cleans him up and sets him free. It was Isaiah's job just to show up, to show up and to say, here I am. Here I am. You can send me. I recently heard this idea phrased in this way by another teacher. They said this, that primitive religion, in other words, this like lesser way of doing faith, Primitive religion will teach you that it's your job to clean up, but true, mature spirituality will teach you how to show up. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot in that. That primitive religion will teach you that it's your job to clean up, but true, mature spirituality will teach you how to show up. And showing up is the thing that opens us up to be cleaned up and ultimately to be used by God along the way, not the other way around. It's not clean up your act and then you can show up to God. It's show up just as you are. And then God will take care of the cleaning up and invite you on the journey of being used by him. And for some of us, we've been hiding for so long, it, it's hard to know how not to, right? It's hard to know what it looks like to show up along the way. But maybe to help you take a next step this week, I want to leave us with two things as we're wrapping up. Uh, maybe for you, it, it's like on the personal side. This can be really significant for your individual faith. If you're a person who's felt like you have to hide or, or you have to withdraw some of yourself from God, like what if this week you found ways that you could answer God's question to you, where are you, by saying, here I am. What if you made yourself available to God this week? That could look as simple as taking 10 to 15 minutes each day this week to just be still and slow down enough to maybe even hear from God. That might be one of the most radical faith practices we can do in our world in 2022. It's to like carve out some slow time to open ourselves up, to let God speak to us, and to maybe even say, like, God, here I am. Will you meet with me? Maybe for you, you need to dig into the story of somebody like Isaiah or, or dig into scripture and, and actually explore, like, how does God operate? What does it look like for him to show up? And what could it mean for you in your life if he could show up in that same kind of a way? But maybe for you this week, your next step is to find a way to create space where you can say to God, here I am, right? Show up. I'm going to show up for you, you show up for me, and move in my life. And as powerful as that can be in an individual's life, I think it's even more powerful in the context of a community. Like I was saying, when we as a church get it right, and we're kind of like the lost boys, where we can be the people who create sacred space where we can all show up to one another along the way, where we can be the people who cheer one another on in being who God called us to be. And when we sense that one of us is drifting from that, when one of us is settling for something lesser, then we could be the people who lovingly and gently ask the question, hey, where are you? Because <laughs> that's not you. Right? Where, where are you? Because God put more in you than that. And here comes the pitch if you don't feel it coming. This is the heart behind groups here at Story. And we're kind of in the process throughout this series of launching our groups ministry. Uh, but the reason that we do groups, and honestly, the reason that I've dragged my feet on launching groups is we want to create a space where you can be authentic and where you can be real. 
And sometimes groups in a church can just be another place where we hide, right? It can be like Sunday morning, and I've led groups like that before where it's like, oh my gosh, it's Wednesday. <laughs> like, I gotta clean the house, they're coming over, what are we doing for food? Like, does the DVD player work? Do I have the curriculum? And we go through it, and we check off all the boxes, and nobody really feels like they actually showed up. That's not what we want it to be here. But rather, the reason we're launching groups, and the reason we're doing it in this way, is we wanna create that sacred space where we can be known by one another, where we can show up as we are, and we can wrestle through the journey of faith together along the way. So here's the other thing that I ask you to do. If you wanna try and experience a community like that, that's what we're building, that's what we're working towards, and I challenge you to try a group this season. Uh, if you've signed up in the past to be a group leader, you should have received an email from me this week saying uh, kind of the instructions that I'm about to lay out to everybody here. Uh, we're gonna organize our groups. If you've signed up to be a group member, this week you will be contacted either by your leader or by me to let you know what your next step is. But basically what we're doing and what we've asked our group leaders to do is over the next three weeks as we're going through these sacred questions together, we've asked that our groups would meet once, not like once every three weeks, just once throughout that span. And it's not gonna be really curriculum based or anything like that. There's really two things that we've asked our group leaders to do together. One is to share a meal together. So if nothing else, you can get free food out of this deal, okay? Uh, like we've asked them to share a meal together, not just because it's nice, but because there's something about being around the table with one another that seems to open us up to different kind of conversations than just sitting around the living room. So we've asked your group leaders to one way or another provide a meal. And, and then the second thing we've asked our groups to do is to spend some time having an open, honest discussion about either this sacred question or next week's sacred question. To, to ask the question, hey, where are you right now, really? or to add on what we'll talk about next week, which is what do you want? And like, here's the thing, I know that might feel really intense because like we've been talking about being naked and having coals touching your lips. That's not what's gonna happen in a group experience. <laughs> if that's happening in groups at Story Church, please tell me, okay, and we'll stop that immediately. But, but rather like answering the sacred question, where am I? It could be as simple as just being honest enough to say like, hey, I'm in a pretty good spot and here's why, if that's true, if that's authentic. Or being honest enough to say like, I'm pretty confused right now. Like summer's ending, right? And I'm going back to school and I'm not ready for another year and I don't know what that's gonna look like. It, it could be as simple as being that honest. It could be as simple as saying like, hey, I feel really close to God right now. And that's an amazing thing. Or as being honest enough to say like, I've had times like that in my life, but it's not right now. And, and I don't know where God's at or what he's doing. Where are you can be that simple. And this, really the power of a sacred question is you can choose how much you reveal in the context of community. But my hope and my heart for our groups here is that over time, you would form a bond with people where they could know you and call out God's best in you, where they could know you and lovingly cheer you on and when necessary, lovingly challenge you to be the person God has made you to be along the way. And so that's my ask for you this week is if you wanna experience that in community, what if you tried it even just over these next three weeks? It's one meeting with the free meal and maybe the opportunity to open up to some people who are also on the journey with you as well. Once we're done with this series in August, we're gonna kind of officially have a launch for our groups with some curriculum that follows along with our next series along the way. But I'd love for you to give it a try. I'd love for you to, to like give it a shot over these weeks and to let these sacred questions be more than just a thing you hear on a Sunday, but what if it was a prompt for God to actually do something new in you, individually and in the context of community? I can vouch for it because when I met with that counselor that I was talking about earlier uh, at the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021, one of the things that I was trying to sort out is what ministry looked like here in Peru. 
because we were in a season where it seemed like change was coming, a lot of things were uncertain, and uh, I was just wrestling with like, what does God want for me and what does God want for us in this community? Our church was like on the verge of possibly going through the third name change or third identity, and, and it involved me like stepping out and becoming lead pastor, and there's just so much packed in it. And when I talked to that counselor, like I said, she just asked me question after question after question, but as she did so, essentially what God was doing through her is God was asking me, where are you? Right? Where are you really? And he started to reveal to me some of the places that I was tempted to hide. Because at the church that I was on staff with, I had a pretty good job. And I don't think they were going to fire me. Right? I didn't know what the future looked like, but I thought I would at least get a new role. So I'm like, I mean, this is kind of comfortable and easy for me to hide behind. I could have stayed there. Uh, I was hiding from the fear of like, what if we do this and nobody goes with us? Right? What if we step out and they're like, uh-uh, round three is too much for me, Eric. <laughs> like, I'm out. Like, there was all that stuff packed in there. But, but as that sacred question was asked of me through a loving counselor, I heard God say, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Until I got to the place where I could be honest with myself enough that I could say, hey, God, here I am. Like, send me. Send me. I'll do it. I'll step out. I'll live out whatever you're putting in me right now. And, and here's the thing. That's not meant to be a look at me kind of story. It, it's all of our story because you have something in you too. Right? God made you on purpose and for a purpose and he wants to call that out of you. And maybe, like, maybe that will happen in your life if you're willing to let that sacred question of where are you really do its work on you until you can get to the spot where you answer to God, here I am. It's in me. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that that would be true in our lives, that we could be people who are willing to be found by you, e even in our mess, that we would be people who would uh, be willing to be honest about where we're at and that you would tear down all of the things we try and hide behind. God, even the good things like work or family roles or, or even a faith community, God, let us live those out in the way that you want us to, not as a place to hide behind, but as a place that leads to more life as a place that calls us out to be the people you want us to be. God, I pray for the person in the room today who's been hiding for so long, they don't even know where to begin with you. And I just pray that they would have some moments this week, maybe moments of quiet, or stillness, where they slow themselves down, and they allow you to ask, hey, where are you? And get to a spot where they can say, here I am, God. And God, for our groups as they're launching, God, let this not be another spot that we hide, but let our groups be real communities of authentic faith and authentic connection where we show up as we are. We create sacred space for one another to wrestle with these questions. And together, we call out the best in one another as we seek to connect our story to yours. God, we pray and we ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.